This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Second hour of Seattle Sports at Night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Curtis Rogers and Jake Heaps with you. Stacey Ross still on vacation. She's just enjoying herself. Man. She lives her whole life on vacation, though. Uh, it's it's true. <laughs> if there's anybody that you could just immediately when you're in their presence, you just have a good time, it's yeah. Stacey. Mm-hmm. Exactly. She's someone that uh, the good time follows her around for sure. Uh, Curtis Rogers and Jake Heaps, though, holding it down here on 710 ESPN Seattle here on this Tuesday night. Uh, I mean, as it always is on a Tuesday. Going up on a Tuesday. There we go. Going up on a Tuesday. That's right. That's what tonight is. But uh, we begin this hour looking at, well, looking forward while also looking back at a couple of household names here in Seattle when it comes to the Seahawks, guys who have left their mark on this franchise. But guys maybe who have a little bit left in the tank to give the Seahawks. Three names that are in the news today, either being shopped around via trade or guys who are unrestricted free agents that will hit the wire uh, in a week here without any sort of restrictions holding them back on who they can sign with. Last season, Golden Tate got traded midway through from the Lions to the Eagles. Everybody was like, oh, wow, Philadelphia's offense is going to reach nuclear levels now. That's right. With Golden Tate in tow, and it wasn't exactly the case. Tate put up he put up okay numbers, but it wasn't anything it, that lit the world on fire. It was a classic case of trying to fit a guy into an offense that already had a system and a rhythm and you're trying to fit this extra piece in, and you just don't know exactly how they can fit. Uh, and, and it's not to say that Golden Tate isn't a great player. It just was the, one of those things like Jimmy Graham, for example, in Seattle. Tremendous player. It's hard to fit him in to maximize the talent that they are. Uh, you need a full off season, for example, with Golden Tate to really be able to capitalize on that experience. And so uh, he, he had a really good year with Detroit moved on to the Eagles, and from there it was hot and cold. There were strong moments from him, and there were also games where he was non-existent. Another guy who has a very long track record here in Seattle is Jermaine Curse, former Jets wide receiver, obviously former Seahawks wide receiver. Uh, over the last couple of years, he's had a, a really good season in 2017, 2018, not as much, but also that's due in large part to the who was throwing him balls that's right. uh, in New York. Sam Darnold, uh, his rookie season, somebody who doesn't protect the football very well, uh, throwing it up there for Jermaine Curse. Didn't exactly have his best season, but now he enters into free agency age 29, so he's on the good side of 30. Uh, so that is, that's working for him. And then also today, we mentioned it right off the top in what's on the timeline, is Michael Bennett, who could possibly be shopped around by the Eagles this offseason, still has an incredible ability to rush the passer. Mm-hmm. Let's look at all three of these guys and what they bring to the table, good and also bad. Let's do it. When you get the good with these guys, the bad also may follow. Yeah. Golden Tate, he hasn't been a Seahawk for longer than Curson Bennett. Uh, Tate. Last year in Seattle was 2013, the Super Bowl season, following 
that victory. The Seahawks let him walk in free agency. He signed with the Lions and ended up posting some of his best years, in fact, his best years in Detroit. And it was kind of a, a situation where the Seahawks kept Percy Harvin over Golden Tate, and it became buyer's remorse yeah. because Harvin was then shipped out just a couple weeks into the 2014 season. I think that's one of the. I think that's one of the great regrets that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have in terms of off-season moves. Yeah, of not keeping Golden Tate, rather keeping Percy Harvin instead. I think that move was due in large part to the Seahawks saying, "Well, we gave up a first-round pick to Percy Harvin. We have to justify that kind of price tag for him." Let's see what we've got with him for an entire season. Because in the short spurts that Harvin played that season in 2013, he was electric. Absolutely. He was incredible. He had the, that long kickoff return against the Vikings, the game in which he got hurt, the only regular season game in which he played. And then he came back, I believe it was in the Saints game in the divisional round? I, I believe so, yes. And then played in the Super Bowl, and then we, we know what he did in the Super Bowl, had the long kickoff return had that jet sweep that go about 30 yards as well. Um, just an incredible performance by him. But then Golden Tate, you look at the pros of bringing him in. Obviously the familiarity. Still very efficient in his receiving. His catch percentage was up was up to 65% this year on percentage of targets he caught. Extremely, extremely strong hands and a guy that, you know, in those situations, efficient because he has those strong hands and the ability to attack the football when it's in the air. And we saw in the playoff game against the Bears him kind of create something out of nothing on that goal line play mm-hmm. when he got confused on the play call and still managed to come up with the game-winning touchdown reception from Nick Foles against the Bears in the goal line. Right. You know, you hear it in Tate's voice on the sideline when that happened. He was like, I had no idea what the play call was. <laughs> it's like, okay, so, I mean. Sometimes when you got elite-level talent, you know, they they are able to make up for mistakes. And that, and when it's all said and done, they have the ability to make the the the, uh, the wrong plays right, uh, to, to correct their wrongs uh, in a given play. And, and that's what Golden Tate brings. He also has the ability to... Uh, be a playmaker with the ball in his hands. Not only is he great in traffic and 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 being a strong uh, pass catcher in, in tight situations, but once he catches that ball, he is tough to bring down. And that's one of the main attributes attributes that make that makes Golden Tate such an, a special player. But Golden Tate does bring, I guess, I wouldn't say baggage, but there are concerns about bringing him in. Is there still bad blood between him and the organization from years ago when he felt like he was lowballed? He said it himself. Yeah, like, I I felt like I didn't get the respect that I deserved uh, in their contract offer, and he felt like he got that from Detroit. Could he feel that exact same way? Because a lot of the the main figures in the Seahawks front office, Pete Carroll and John Schneider, still here. Absolutely. There's a lot of other pieces that are gone, like Scott McLuhan. He's not here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, other guys in the front office who were there at that time. Right. But maybe Golden Tate still harbors a little bit of resentment towards those decision makers in the Seahawks organization. I think so. And the reality is too that the Seahawks aren't going to overextend themselves for Golden Tate. So that would be a situation again where if they ever did come to the table and make an offer. It guarantee you it's not going to be at the top of the list. He's not going to get uh, the number one offer from the Seahawks. And if, if that were to be the case, and that's because Golden State, 
Golden Tate's stock has dropped dramatically, which I would be hard-pressed to see in a league that's looking for pass-catching, playmaking receivers. Golden Tate has shown that he still has that ability. And then he's 30 years old. Uh, you don't know how much longer he's got as a top-flight receiver in the league because people say 30 years old is that cutoff date for running backs. It's also kind of the same for wide receivers. Yeah, you're, you're you know, there's there's very few receivers that can uh, overcome father time, and you know th- those are the elite of the elite. And you know, there's some guys that change their roles, like Larry Fitzgerald, for example, one of the best to ever do it. Will be a Hall of Famer. Uh, was an outside receiver his entire career, and eventually made that shift to moving into the slot, which has prolonged his career. Uh, and and if you're not able to make those type of adjustments then it's hard-pressed to see you continue to play until you're 34, 35, and so forth. So, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. You just don't know how much more legs Golden Tate has in his career. Now, another receiver, Jermaine Curse, coming from the New York Jets. He was dealt last year in 2017 uh, in a trade that brought the Seahawks. Sheldon Richardson, they gave up Curse in a second-round pick for Richardson. Um, Curse... You know he's got the clutch gene in him. He's had, I would say, probably three or four of the biggest catches in Seahawks franchise history. Without a doubt, like he he is at the top of the top. The the most ridiculous catches in the biggest moments. Jermaine Curse has seemed to have always found himself in those moments. You've got the the fourth down breakdown play against the 49ers in the NFC title game. You've got he caught a touchdown pass in the first Super Bowl. Uh, where he bounced off a bunch of guys and got into the end zone. You've got the divisional round against the Panthers when he had a long touchdown. Uh, you got the the Green Bay Packers Green overtime Bay, winner, yeah. right? So and then the last, and then the last one against the Patriots. Yeah, the where one, he bobbled, bobbled it. it, kicked off his foot, right? I mean, just incredible. Uh, and, and and if anything else, I think Jermaine Curse, I think he is the most likely player in this situation that could find himself back to the Seahawks. One because. Jermaine Curse's market isn't going to be extremely high. Uh, the second reason why is because he had great chemistry with Russell and in this offense and could find himself. I think really this offense needs a consistent, reliable player on top of Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett. You don't need a game-breaker. That's what Tyler Lockett is. And for people that don't recognize that, then you need to check your eyes because he is a top-flight receiver who can stretch the field at any given moment, and now you need a guy that uh, Russell can depend on along with Doug Baldwin to be in the right spots at the right places and be able to catch the football uh, in, in tough situations, and I think Jermaine can answer that call. Now, is he an elite receiver that can be a game changer, a game wrecker, a sh- guy that can stretch the field? No, he's not, but he is a guy that will be in the right spot where he's supposed to be every single time. And there, there are also questions about his inefficiency. We had that stat a couple nights ago where Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson were like the most efficient, most extraordinary duo yeah. in the NFL, just as we're the most extraordinary duo in late nights. That's right. In Seattle sports. Uh, but no, nobody can touch us. Exactly. Man. Exactly. Whereas on the complete opposite end of that spectrum, Jermaine Curse and Sam Darnold were the least extraordinary in terms of next gen stats uh, on NFL.com. You wonder if that kind of inefficiency yeah. is on Curse or if that's on Darnold and in a Seahawks yeah. offense that cares so much about 
maximizing your targets, yes. maximizing that catch percentage, if that's something that will scare away the Seahawks front office. Yeah, the hard part is I haven't been able to watch the Jets very closely with Sam Darnold and, and Kerr, so I can't give you a firm answer. But if you were to give me my guess, I'm going to favor in Jermaine Kerr's, uh more than Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, rookie, uh, a guy that has uh, widely been inconsistent uh, in his own career with touchdown-to-interception ratio. And anytime you're, you've got a rookie quarterback, it's always going to be a struggle uh, in your first season. And Jermaine Curse was a guy the year before who had an incredible year at, with Josh McCown as his quarterback, working in the middle of the field, showed that he could really be a, a uh, reliable uh, one or two in the NFL. So I, I think that uh, in in this situation where, like you said, Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin are two of the most efficient receivers in the league, I think Jermaine coming into Seattle – I think he would be a great additional piece, a, a, a piece that would his efficiency would rise uh, because of the pairing with Russell Wilson. Now, bringing in Tate and Curse, I don't think would rock the boat to a, a huge degree. I think they would be eye-opening moves. Now, the last guy we have listed, Michael Bennett, who may or may not be on the trade block from the Eagles, this is a move if the Seahawks were to make mm-hmm. would would rock the boat. It, it would. It, it would. It would. I don't know if there would be – it would make things uncomfortable. It would. It would make things uncomfortable. It would make things hard. Uh, the way that whole situation ended, the way it left, uh, it, it just wasn't good. It, it, and and uh, I, I don't know Michael's feelings on it personally. Uh, I don't know what the franchise feels on it personally. But there was a point in time where that separation was needed. Michael Bennett outgrew – the Pete Carroll's culture and was vocal about it, even going to the point of saying like, Hey, yeah, I, uh, I was reading books when Pete was talking. Like I just, I've heard everything. I, at this point, it's just kind of redundant. And I know I don't need to listen anymore for that to be one of your veteran presence uh, and, and one of your leaders. That's something that you don't want, but man, he has shown that he can still be one of the NFL's elite in terms of getting to the pass rusher, but it would be it would be kind of the Seahawks eating crow a little bit, uh, trading Michael Bennett and then trading back for him. So that that would be very very unlikely. But uh, it would be fascinating to see how that one would unfold if it did come to fruition. Now that I think about it, I really think that bringing in Michael Bennett would definitely rock the boat. Okay, I take it. I'll take it all back when I said I don't know. If I think it would rock. The boat. Yeah, that would. <laughs> that would shake things up in a way that I don't How did you think, convince yourself that it would not? I, I don't know. Sometimes I say things into this microphone that I, I'm just like, what did I say? <laughs> and the Seahawks fan base, I'm, I know that they're appreciative of what Bennett was able to do in his time here, but he's also somebody that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And it wasn't just the fan base, but it was how he treated uh, you know, just people in the media here in town, how he uh, treated opponents. And then there was a lot of lack of discipline that I think caused a lot of Seahawks fans to pull their hair out at times. Uh, to me, I don't know if those are lessons that can be learned in a year away. I think those are lessons that need to take a lot of time, a lot of self-reflection. And based on what I've seen of Michael Bennett in his year away from Seattle, 
He's not necessarily a guy that I think is going to realize those lessons right away. I think he's a guy that doesn't have it entirely in himself to be reflective and say, you know what, I messed up. You know what, I I wasn't right in, mm-hmm. in operating this way. And if the Seahawks are going to bring a guy like that in and, and make him a part of this team once again, there's there's got to be a lot of reflection that goes on uh, in how he left the organization. No doubt. The best thing for Michael Bennett is to be in a new system, a new environment that will keep him on his toes, keep an edge to him. And I think that's why the Eagles situation worked out so well for him. So if yeah, you got your choice of the three, who are you choosing? Text it in. Coors Light text line is there for you, 710-710. Golden Tate, Jermaine Curse, Michael Bennett. Jake says Jermaine Curse is his guy of these three that he would be most likely to see back here in Seattle. I'm going to have to agree with Jake on this one. I, I think Jermaine Curse is in a position to where he's not going to be asking for top dollar. I think the Seahawks can get very similar, if not better, production from Curse than they got out of Jerron Brown this season. Uh, so that is uh, what the Seahawks, I think, could end up doing. I, I wouldn't be too shocked if Jermaine Curse is a Seahawk. Yeah, I it, it really – I. Honestly, I'm kind of expecting it. Uh, it wouldn't be shocked if they don't bring him back, but uh, to me, I think this makes a ton of sense. Coming up next, is there a unit on this Seahawks roster that is at a Super Bowl level right now? Think about it. We'll talk that next. Curtis Rogers and Jake Heaps, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into the show. You can follow us on Twitter at a kid from Kent. Jake, you're at what? JT Heaps 9. There it is. So, yeah, hit us with a follow. Uh, interact with us there. You can also text in Coors Light text line. Make sure you're getting those texts in because... Uh, coming up at the end of this hour, we answer any text you send in and ask us anything. Well, I don't know if we answer any text. We certainly read. We, we read them all, but, uh, you know, there, there's various reasons why yeah, we but, don't read them. There are you certain know. ones that, I mean, come on, guys, let's class it up. I get that it's late at night, but, I mean. Do you honestly think we can read that? Yeah, like, the FCC is always listening, all right? <laughs> Our ratings may not show a ton of people listening, but, like, at this at this hour, but the FCC certainly has an ear to our dial. That's for sure. Curtis Rogers, Jake Eve, Seattle Sports at Night, with you for the next forty five minutes or so. But right now, the NFL offseason about a week away. You're kind of wondering where will a lot of these position groups go? How are they going to look at, in a week or so when the free agency doors are flung wide open? It becomes a, a madhouse of, of action between front offices and players. But looking at the position groups that the Seahawks have right now, they made the playoffs mm-hmm. a year ago. They won 10 games. Yes, they did. That would speak to a team rel- getting closer and closer to, I would say, Super Bowl contention, right? Right. Just based off of the numbers, sixth best scoring offense in the NFL. Uh, a team that brought in a lot of young pieces and they performed uh, admirably in 2018. But are any of these position groups that the Seahawks have currently at a Super Bowl level? Are- it's it's a great question. It's one of those things where 
this team, you could talk about how great of a year last year was because so many people, including myself, had this team around 500 to below 500. Oh, I was firmly in that camp. I, I was I was very much in that camp as well. And and I thought that they were going to get to that mark because Russell Wilson was that good. Uh so they they um totally exceeded a lot of people's expectations. And you look at this roster now, they were able to reset, retool, reestablish the culture, reestablish their philosophy and identity, which is all massive wins for this franchise. But when you look forward to them taking that next step, what is it going to require? It's going to require adding additional talent. It's going to require those young pieces that played early on. They played admirably, but now you need those guys to make jumps and make significant jumps while also adding to the talent of this roster. So to answer your question, is there a Super Bowl position, Super Bowl level position on this roster right now? There is one, Curtis. There okay. is one, without a doubt. You can't even argue with me about this one. Okay, you ready for this? Who you got? Punter. I was going to say Michael punter. Dixon. I was going to say that, All too. All the way. I was going to surprise you and be like, oh, <laughs> Jake's not thinking on this level. You He's... can't get past me, Curtis Rogers. I know. I know. I couldn't. Michael freaking Dixon is the one player that you could say is uh, – it's he's the only guy at the position. Now, I would say that Russell Wilson – Having Russell Wilson at the quarterback position is making that uh, that position a Super Bowl caliber level uh, position because in most teams around the NFL, yeah, you could talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, but how many teams really are in that type of position where they have a guy who not only can play well but can actually get them into uh, the playoffs and, and make a Super Bowl run. Not not very many. And the Eagles were afforded the luxury of Carson Wentz still being on his rookie deal in which they were able to bring in a high-priced backup like Nick Foles. It's not like Nick Foles is making couch change. Correct. Like He was making a considerable amount of money to be the Eagles' backup quarterback. Yes. In fact, he was due for, what was it, a $20 million option he had on his contract this season. Yes. Uh, and, you know, the Seahawks just simply can't afford to pay a backup quarterback even in the neighborhood of that kind of money. No, and they only keep two guys on their roster, so the, the value of that position is not very high, and they are they have the luxury of, of going about it that way because Russell Wilson, knock on wood, uh, has remained healthy. Even when he, I mean, this guy's a warrior, even when he was significantly injured and had zero business, I was there, I witnessed it, the guy could barely function in practice, had treatment literally around the clock. Uh, he was nuts for practice. He didn't even miss a practice uh, during that 2016 season when he was hurt not only with his knee and his ankle at the same time. Uh, this guy is going to play through anything he possibly can. Uh, the other position that I think that you could easily point to is actually going to surprise you, the receiver position. When you have Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett, those guys are – amongst the elite in the NFL and especially in this system this isn't a four wide system this is a uh this is a uh system where you're going to have two receivers and maybe you get three receivers on the field uh because this is such a run heavy play action type of team so you're going to have Tyler and Doug on the field at all times uh, and and behind that there's not a whole lot of depth but when Doug's healthy this is one of the best receiver tandems in the NFL 
to me, when I look at the Seahawks roster and the positions, I think, that are closest to a Super Bowl level, mm-hmm. I think it starts with quarterback. Russell Wilson being who he is, being you know an MVP candidate every single season, but then you don't know who his backup is going to be. And there's a lot of worry that you know if Russell Wilson were to go down at any point, you don't quite know what you got. They haven't set themselves up very well. Just no, say that they haven't. But quarterback, I think Russell Wilson can absolutely take your team to a Super Bowl. He's done it twice uh, in Seattle. Running back, I think, is is close okay. to being a Super Bowl level backfield. Chris Carson showed that he can be a feature back in an offense. Pro Football Focus rated him the best running back in the NFC West, the same division that Todd Gurley calls home, and the you know he was an MVP candidate at some point in 2018 before his season went kaput. I think the running back position on offense is is very close to being at a Super Bowl level. It is if Rashad Penny can answer the call, if yeah. he can step up and become that first round level talent that that the Seahawks are hoping. Then you've got a an elite two-headed monster. I'm right there with you. It's just the question is, is Rashad Penny going to really focus and take this offseason seriously to take that next step? That's what we have to wait and see and find out. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of people will point to the defensive line being, I think, the most the biggest need this offseason. Yes. But I think if you want to win a Super Bowl – if you want to absolutely get back to where the Seahawks were from 2012 through 2015, I think you've got to work on that secondary. You've got to find a yeah. cornerback that is a that is elite that can shut down a team's best receiver that can shut that can close off half the field the way Richard Sherman did it for so long here in Seattle. I think the Seahawks need to absolutely find somebody like that if they want to get to a Super Bowl because, yeah, the Seahawks were were cute last year at times. You know, zero and two, they rally and win ten of their last fourteen, get back to the postseason after a year away. It's all fuzzy and, and good, and it's great to see the the progress put in motion and the wheels start to turn on this thing. But it's easy to go in, in the grand scheme of things. It's easy to go from eight wins and nine wins to ten wins. Yeah, it is so much tougher to go from ten wins to twelve wins and 12 wins to 13 to 14 wins. And make that Super Bowl run. Exactly, Absolutely. because the target gets bigger and bigger on your back the better your team is. And the Seahawks right now, they there's, they know how to – guys. there are guys on the roster that know how to win. Bobby yep. Wagner, Russell Wilson, chief among them. Mm-hmm. Does Trey Flowers, is he a guy that knows how to consistently win? Is Shaquille Griffin a guy that knows how to consistently win? Well, here here's the thing is, is that you've got pieces that are are exciting in the secondary. Bradley McDougald is a staple. He is a guy that's going to show up every week. You know exactly what you're going to get out of him. And he was a Pro Bowl-level player this year. One of the biggest steals that the Seahawks have gotten, in my opinion, from the Pete and John era. Uh, he He's incredible. The, the contract that he is on is absolutely stealing. Uh, and and now you're relying on a a guy like Trey Flowers and Shaq Griffin to step up and be those big time corners. Uh, and and we were after year one with Shaq Griffin, we were thinking, man, this guy had a fantastic rookie season. Can't wait for year two. Well, year two, 
was a real struggle for him. And I don't care which, which who is talking about Shaq Griffin, any which way you try to put it, it was a bad year for him. It was a down year for him for the expectations that people had. He did not live up to the billing of being that top-flight cornerback and being consistent. Coverage bus being beat downfield, those are things that just don't happen if you're an elite corner. Now, is it too late for him? Absolutely not. He can turn this thing around. Pro Football Focus had him graded as one of the worst corners in the National Football League. I mean, th- those aren't good things. That just doesn't happen. It's not a, ah, he, well, he, he just didn't have, it was a middle-of-the-road year. No, it was a bad year, and he needs to correct that. Trey Flowers is a guy that is it, it, that could be a lockdown type of corner. Love what I saw from him. But again, you're hoping that he develops into that. We don't know exactly what we're going to get. There's a lot of unknowns, and you look at the free safety position, what are you going to do? Is it Tedrick Thompson, Delano Hill? Are you going to play him at strong safety? There's a lot of moving pieces there. Um, the defensive line, it's in great shape. You love the, the, the cornerstones that you have in Jaron Reed and Frank Clark. Uh, Puna Ford stepped up, but he's not going to be your every da- three-down run stuffer uh, and, and a, a major factor on the defensive line. They have to add depth there. Uh, linebacker, you could quickly say, is a Super Bowl-level team if you had K.J. Wright or Michael Kendricks at the will linebacker position because Bobby Wagner is one of the best in the NFL, uh, is going to be a Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. But right now, as it stands, right now you've got uh, Shaquem Griffin and Barkevious Mingo next to Bobby Wagner, and to me, that is that is a big-time concern. Yeah. Um, and, and so there, again, so many pieces. When you really break down this roster, there are so many pieces that they have to fill out, round out, for this team to really take that next step. It makes it seem like, well, the Seahawks are actually further away than – I think a lot of people would want to realize or want to say about the Seahawks because it was such a, a productive season. And, I mean, it's not to knock anything that they accomplished in 2018, but it's also to put into perspective, like, you know, it is so incredibly difficult to get to the Super Bowl. And I think the Seahawks didn't do themselves any favor by make, by how easy they made it look in 2013 and in 2014, I mean, yes. they just ran over the NFC well, and, and it wasn't even close. And the expectation, too, is, is, well, look at the group that they drafted. Look at the crop and the way it developed, right? And and that only happens so many times in the NFL. It has to work out perfectly. And to strike gold twice through multiple drafts, uh, it is a rarity. And it's something that if anybody can pull it off, it's Pete Carroll, John Schneider, and this franchise but there are some key moves that they have to make in key positions where guys have to continue to develop and step up in their game. There can be no regression uh, for a Shaq Griffin, a Trey Flowers. Uh, these guys have to continue to get better, and the Seahawks have to continue to add pieces to help this roster be that much more talented and that much more full of depth. When we return here on Seattle Sports Night, it's time for Big If True Pac-12 basketball season, one to forget. How will the Pac-12 rectify that? And is outside help on the way? Well, we talk that next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heap, Seattle Sports Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. You can listen to the show 
via the 710 Sports app. It's driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealer, Seattle Sports Night. By the way, you can check out the podcast, 710sports.com. Click on podcasts. Every single episode is there for you. You can also subscribe to the Seattle Sports Night podcast on iTunes. You can also download it on Google Play. It's there wherever. Wherever you can listen to a podcast, we're there. It's it's the best way to keep up with us with our flex times going all over the place. Yeah, uh, this is the best way to do it. Absolutely. Uh, right now, as we always do in this time slot, uh, it's time for Big If True, and the Pac-12 has been abysmal this season. There's no guarantee that Washington is even going to be in the NCAA tournament. They still have work to do, even though they've clinched a regular season title and they've clinched it. By a significant distance, they, they clinched it following the Cal game. There's still a couple more games left in the regular season. How will the Pac-12 be able to put this behind them and go forward in 2020 and 2021? Could they look to outside help in order to build back up the reputation of the conference as a basketball power? Well, that brings us to tonight's Big If True. This can't be happening! Big. You can't be serious, man. If did he, he say, say that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious. Tonight's Big If True comes to us from John Rothstein, who is a bracketologist, college basketball analyst from Sports Illustrated and also CBSSports.com. Rothstein was on with uh, SI Now, which is like their video online sort of hosted show, and he was talking today about ways the Pac-12 can become a better conference, and he brought up conference expansion, but only for basketball. Okay, so he didn't he didn't bring up you know get rid of Larry Scott first. No, which is kind of the move that I think everybody okay. who is a Pac-12 fan would do. Okay, that's a bummer, but okay, let's, exactly. let's keep going. So, he brings up conference expansion, but only for basketball and the name school that he brings up uh is pretty familiar to college sports fans specifically in this state. Here's what Rostein had to say. The one thing that isn't really being talked about with the Pac-12, but is something that really Larry Scott, the commissioner of this league, should consider, is to add Gonzaga. Gonzaga is a team that would instantly raise the credibility of the Pac-12 conference. Quad one wins and quad one opportunities are something that aren't at a premium right now for teams in this conference. If you add Gonzaga, the Pac-12 would immediately have 18 extra quad one opportunities. And another thing, this goes in line with the schedule alignment for the Pac-12. All of a sudden, you're getting these marquee matchups with some of the great brands on the West Coast. Gonzaga and UCLA, Gonzaga and Arizona. Remember a couple years ago, the American Conference added Wichita State as a basketball-only member, and it raised the entire profile of the conference. This is something that the Pac-12 should look into, and obviously something that would help them from a national perspective when it comes to overall respect by adding a program like Gonzaga. Now, when adding a team to a conference... I think you've got to look at it beyond just wins and losses and improving your tournament resume. You've got to look at it from an academic standpoint. Does it fit to bring in Gonzaga into the Pac-12? Does it fit from a revenue standpoint? Is the Gonzaga footprint big enough in terms of overall name value compared to the 12 other schools in the conference? Right. 
Simply put, I don't think the Gonzaga name reverberates outside of the basketball world. Like, it's not a school program that gets talked about, you know, from the months April through right. September. Well, let's be honest. Gonzaga in this state, how much does Gonzaga, especially on the west side of the mountains, how much do they even get talked about over here? They don't get as much play or as much credit as they deserve. They're the number one team in the country, and we don't talk about them as much. The people over here, the name Gonzaga doesn't just totally gravitate people to to listen or to people are wanting to talk about every second of the day. Uh, I, I think it's something, when you look at it from just his words, face value of just that conversation, absolutely it would strengthen the conference of having a uh, program that Mark Few has put together it is an elite basketball program that year after year continues to be at the top of college basketball. I think from from that sense, it would it would make perfect sense to add them into the Pac-12. Now, all the other reasons when you when you take away the dream and now you crush that dream and bring reality down, it doesn't make any sense for the Pac-12, a school that makes more sense from an overall standpoint in terms of their sports is a school from the WCC like BYU. Yeah. A huge national following, a, 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 a program, a school that is very successful in all sports across the board uh, that could compete uh, in, in every facet, uh, but they aren't considered in the Pac-12 because they don't hold the same academic standards yeah. or have the same viewpoint as these other schools. They're not a research school. No, they're they- a, a private religious institute, which would be the only of its kind in the Pac-12. Right. You look at bringing in BYU, though, the football name speaks for itself. You've also got one of the most heated rivalries already between BYU and Utah. Like, there's legit hate between those two schools and those two families. Very, very much so. Yeah. It's, uh, it's intense. But bringing in BYU, I mean, like you said, there's the logistical shuffling that you got to do. You know, is this the right call when you've got research institutes and the academic standards at BYU are different than those at USC, different than those at Sanford, uh, Cal being these, you know, giant, you know, like, well, UW also right. being a, a very brainiac type school. Yes. Uh, to me, BYU would be the only logical school to pick from from the WCC because and only because of what the football program brings to the revenue that that school produces and also would bring eyes to the conference. You put a BYU game anywhere, they're going to put butts in seats. The Pac-12 right now I don't think needs to worry about expansion in terms of fixing their problems. I think these are problems that are very much self-inflicted, yes. and bringing in another institution isn't going to solve those. As we've seen in conference realignment in the past, it's going to take a good chunk of change to convince a school to leave where it is and join up with a conference that's already intact. We've also seen with the Pac-12 that throwing money at a problem 
is not going to solve it. Right. That's what they've tried to do with the network. That's tried. That's what they've tried to do multiple times with just about every enterprise that they've undergone over the last five or six years. Adding a school to the Pac-12, even if it's just basketball, is not going to fix the problem at hand because, yeah, Gonzaga becomes a good team in this conference. Maybe they win the conference, but adding them isn't going to fix the 12 schools that are already here. Yeah, there there is a serious problem in the amount of talent uh, also, when you have a school like Arizona, who is one of your marquee programs, who is struggling as of right now, uh, who is under the microscope from an uh, investigation standpoint, uh, th- those are things that are hurtful for the the overall healthiness of the Pac-12. Um, just like in anything, you want in in major leagues, you want the Yankees to be successful, you want the Dodgers to be successful, you want some of your biggest markets, you want those teams to be as successful as possible to add to the revenue and the eyes of of your league. And it's the same thing for the Pac-12. Um, those schools are uncharacteristically down. U, UCLA, I mean, for crying out loud. USC as well. Yeah, USC's bad. Uh, you know, Washington uh, is starting to climb up a little bit, which I think is a good uh, development. But you have to have your traditional schools be at full strength in order for this conference to be respected and to be seen as as one uh, amongst the best of the best. And right now, you cannot say that in the least. How much does the lack of a basketball, or how much does the lack of a football program, I should say, work against the Zags when it comes to conference realignment? Because if you remember, a year ago, there was some serious whispers that Gonzaga was going to leave the WCC and go to the Mountain West Conference as a basketball-only member. They would be the only basketball-only school in the Mountain West Conference. Yeah. But then that whole plan fell apart. Gonzaga said, no, we're staying in the WCC. This is where we're at for now. So it's not like Gonzaga – is this is the first time they've ever flirted with this. And, I mean, who's to say that this is even a real possibility? This is simply just John Rothstein throwing it out there as a possible fix for the Pac-12. That's why we put on big if true, because if it's true, then it's big. Yes. But right now, the likelihood of Gonzaga being added to the Pac-12 is slim to none. The lack of a football program, I think, is the biggest thing in terms of conference realignment, because that yeah. is still, and it's going to always be, the biggest revenue generator for any Power Five conference. I agree. I think that's the. I think that's one of the biggest things holding back uh, is, is the lack of a football program, and then also the Pac-12 from an academic standpoint, how they view themselves. Uh, does Gonzaga fit that academic standard? I, I, they they don't. Uh, but if they had a football team and one that was. Uh, somewhat successful, I think that it would be a, a bigger conversation. However, the Gonzaga has flirted with this before, so it would be it wouldn't be unheard of for this to happen for the Pac twelve and Gonzaga. Uh, if it were to happen, I think that it would help the conference in a tremendous way. And actually if anybody benefits from this, it would be Gonzaga more than anything. Oh absolutely. because now you have a team that you can't say, oh well they're stuck in the the lowly 
WCC. They don't play anybody. Now they have a strong out-of-conference schedule. Now they play a, a Power 5 schedule, which would uh, bolster their resume, but also I think would make them a better team overall because they're facing better talent on a more consistent basis. It would make that program stronger for when they go to the tournament. Uh, I, I believe that would make them a, a bigger contender uh, it, moving forward. So it, would it strengthen the Pac-12? Maybe, maybe not, but it's got to be the traditional programs that are the ones succeeding along with a Gonzaga that would really bolster the program, not a Gonzaga to fix the woes of Arizona, U at UCLA, and USC. You can't fix those. No, th- those are beyond really the control of anybody right now. As I mean, especially with Arizona, their fate is in the hands of the FBI. Yes, and uh, you know, like it or not, like that's exact. That's what's holding them back right now is the investigation that's currently ongoing. The NCAA hasn't handed down a punishment. One of your flagship basketball schools is is in this. Pardon the pun, but they're in a one. They're wandering the desert, yeah. Uh, because I mean that's where they're <laughs> located. Uh, but right now, the Pac-12 is in a situation where they just got to get those kinds of schools. The the in, in football, they got to get USC going, maybe Oregon as well. As much as that would be, as much as that would pain Husky fans to hear, you know, when Oregon is winning, when they are pumping out those Nike dollars as they do. It's good for the college football world because they they were a premier player, and you know when the Huskies are winning, it's good for the conference as well. And then in basketball, UCLA, the history that they have, they're an afterthought in the Pac-12 right now. Yes, uh, it, it's incredible to think that they are even in this position, and they've been in this position for as long as they have. It's just mind blowing to me, and one that has to be rectified. Uh, hopefully it is done sooner rather than later because it only benefits the conference. Uh, just like you pointed out, USC in football, UCLA in basketball, you have to have your flagship flagship schools be at its peak. If you looked at the the uh, ACC and Duke wasn't one of your top schools, they were down. You had you know some of your traditional schools, Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse, those schools were down in the tank right now. What would that conference look like? We it, it wouldn't even be it would be a shell of its current self. So the Pac-12 doesn't stand a chance until those flagship schools in those particular uh, sports arenas become better and climb their way back to the limelight. That is tonight's big if true. Coming up next, we answer your questions. Texas seven ten seven ten. Time for ask us anything. Curtis Rogers and Jay Keeps wrapping it up here on this Tuesday night on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airline Studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jay Keeps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into Seattle Sports at Night. Thank you so much for joining us here. Curtis Rogers and Jake Heaps sending you deep into the night. Got to get some shut eye soon. I That's mean, right. I'm up in like four hours from now. I, like, I, I do not do, envy you right do I, now, man. Yeah, I, I'm. I gotta. I gotta be up and uh, head know. into Peoria. Exactly. That's right. Which, which kind of bring. We talked about it off air yesterday. Maybe this is 
a billion dollar idea that we're sitting on. Maybe we shouldn't say this out loud. Although I, I, no I one's listening, right? That's right. I mean, maybe a few people. I I don't know. I think even if people hear this, we've came we came up with the creation. People can try yeah. and recreate, but we came up with the passion. Yeah. No one can match us. Our Shark Tank idea is like Venue Kings or StubHub, but for airline tickets. <laughs> you buy them dirt cheap. Because we saw yesterday, it was like Southwest forty nine dollar tickets to Hawaii, which went that which were gone in seconds. Yes, but you buy those up, you resell them for a little bit, you make some cash. But I don't, I don't think that's a possibility. I, it's probably a strong likelihood that it's illegal. Yeah. Uh, but if we could get over Minor that detail, if we could get over that hurdle, Curtis, we would be. Making big time bucks, yeah. and you know our, our Seattle Sports Night edition. I mean, mm. we could buy ourselves all sorts of producers. We could, yeah. we could spruce up this show Have like you wouldn't a, believe. A fleet of people working for us. That's right. Yeah, that that's what we would do with our our giant uh, amount of money we'd be raking in, uh, running the secondary market of airline tickets. That's right. We we wouldn't leave this show, though. No. We, would, we wouldn't just pack up and leave the people. You know, we no. couldn't do that to you guys. We would absolutely just make this show the most dominant sports night show of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's that's what we would be <laughs> That's what we would be going for uh, right here on Seattle Sports at Night. Uh, but now is the time of the show where you can ask us Anything, literally anything, no guarantee we answer it. But uh, right now, uh, Coors Light text line says uh, from the 206 says, hey, guys, did you know that if you flip a Vans shoe any way in the air, it will land facing up. It will land sole down and it'll be right side up. No way. Really? If you flip it up. I'm wearing I'm wearing some right now. Okay, well let's test this theory let's out test it right out. right now. Here we go. Just throwing it in the air and well, it hits something. It so, hits something. Yes. Uh-oh. So we we got to retest this. Okay, this here we go. It hit one of the desks here. Here we go. Another opportunity. I, this is why we've got two shoes for this kind of experiment. <laughs> Flipping it up and lo and behold. Wow. Landed right side up. That is incredible. I didn't I did. even need to see it to know it landed right side up. That's right. I, I My mind is blown right now. Yeah. Who has the time to figure this stuff out is my question. Well, I, I saw it yesterday on the internet as well, people doing it, and I was like, well, I'm, I wear Vans. Let's let's try this out. And sure enough, it happened, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like this is, this is some wild science here. That's, that's right. Yeah. Oh man, Curtis, you got to put those shoes back I, on. Bob. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I should have I should have known. You, you should have kept them over there. Yeah. Said you flinged them over to my side. Yeah. Ooh. Well. A, hey, long day's work, man. Yeah. We're putting in the hours here on Seattle Sports <laughs> at night. Absolutely. Uh, Jake, you seen anything coming in on the Coors Light text line there that uh, suits your fancy? Hmm. I would. Okay. Here's one. I, we had. We had it. What's up with these TP questions? But uh, okay. Toilet paper over or under? What is the proper way? Over. I'm going over. Over. I, yeah. I can't stand it when it's under. Yeah. Because that's just. It's not convenient. I, I'm with you on that, especially when like it's late at night and it's and it's all dark and you're just trying to find. The oh end, yeah, yeah, and the yeah. roll. If it's over, it's way more. It's a lot easier. But when it's under, 
can't I, I, you can't find it. it drives you it. insane. Like, where the heck is the end of this thing? Lo and behold, you've actually been rolling this thing over and over multiple times, and now you've got that extra, you know what I'm saying? you got the extra, and so now you're pulling it and trying to get the extra mm-hmm. back tight. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a disaster. Yeah, not not good. Not good. I am in firmly in team over. If you're team under, I, I can't trust you. I can't do it. Won't do it. <laughs> can't win with them, can't coach them, in, in Mike Singletary's words. What else we got on the Coors Light text line there? Ask us anything. Now's the time to do it. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. Let's keep looking. Let's keep looking. And I, I, there's a lot of these these ones that are just uh, a little too little too out there for us. Okay. Um. All right. How how do you feel about putting pineapple on your pizza, Curtis? Are you with it? I'm with it. I'm you with are? it. Yeah. Okay. I'm down with uh, pineapple on the pizza. That's that is my go-to. I, I've never been able. Well, that, it's not my go-to, but it's it, it's among my top five. Okay, I, I've never been able to get on board on this this old train. I I just don't understand the fruit on a pizza. It just doesn't go well for me. It, it's it's about pepperoni, sausage, maybe throw on a little bacon. Let's just keep it with what pizza was meant to be: great meat, cheese, and 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 sauce. Okay. Okay. If you can keep it at that, I'm game. All day, every day. All right. All right. Uh, let's see here. Coors Light text line 710-710. Uh, they say, let's see here. What is the best free food to eat at an office? You get the email that says free food in the lobby. What's the best one <laughs> that you happen upon? Happen upon. Because okay. they're... Donuts, I feel like, are the most common yeah. in an office building. I agree. But sometimes there's pizza. We've had fried chicken here before. We've had that's, bagels. That's pretty good. We've had burgers. Here's a here's a story for you. I Typically, when you see candy laid out in a public area in a big business office space, okay. you're pretty safe to assume that it's fair game, right? Yeah. Well, there was a time where I looked at that, and there was a situation. It was a big, big office. It was kind of shared communal space in this in this business uh, area, and I saw some candy, and I a nice bowl of candy, some great stuff in there, and I went to go for it, and just so happened there was actually someone's desk, and it was somebody else's candy, and they recognized that I was about to take it, and they. We're like, excuse me, sir. This is my candy, and I, it was, it, it wasn't good. Oh, that that is so that that's awkward. Like it, it was because I I apologize. Not only did they really care about, they were very passionate about this candy, mm-hmm. but I apologized, and they were like, well, maybe you should look around next time and yeah. make sure that it's it it's not someone's candy. But I mean, some serious. This, this desk was very unassuming. It did not look like anybody's desk or particular space. It was a common area. Just someone had claimed this area for the day or the moment or whatever, and it put down their bowl of candy. Um, so now that has scarred me. I, I will not assume anymore mm. about a bowl of candy. That is going to do it for us. We'll end on that note here on Seattle Sports tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. You can check out the podcast, 710sports.com. Click on the podcast 
tab. Every single episode of Seattle Sports Tonight is going to be there for you. We'll be back with you next week. For the quarterback, Jake Heaps, I'm Curtis Rogers. That's going to do it for us right here at 710 ESPN Seattle.